Thanks for downloading Making Waves from the University of Portsmouth. I'm Trudy Monk, and in my day job, I champion and support the incredible alumni of our university. We're really proud of our graduate community and how they're making their mark and finding solutions to global challenges. These interviews showcase how our alumni are making positive changes in their businesses, communities and careers. In this first series, we're focusing on the environment. What our alumni are doing in this space goes hand in hand with what the university is doing to ensure an environmentally sustainable future, including making the bold commitment to being climate positive by 2030. By empowering our community and coming together, we know we can make a huge difference. In this episode, my colleague John Worsey speaks to Georgia Voss about her work as a geological environmental consultant. We continue to live in an age of industrial development, but how can this sit with our pledges to the environment and protecting green spaces? We're losing farmland at a shocking rate and there's lots of areas of old industrial land that are still laying to waste. Georgia's work assessing old industrial sites for redevelopment encourages businesses to redevelop that land so that green spaces are protected. Certainly, if we can avoid as much greenfield development as we possibly can, that's going to make a nicer environment for us to produce our food and grow our crops, as we have done for many years. Let's find out what led Georgia on this path. This is Making Waves. I'm joined by Georgia Voss, Portsmouth alum. Uh, Georgia, thanks very much for giving us your time today. Now, um, you graduated, I believe, six years ago. So let's come right up to date and uh, start with now. What are you doing with your life today, six years on? I'm currently working as a senior geo-environmental consultant in, for a company um, called Omnia Consulting, based in Port Solent. Oh, exciting. And what do Omnia do? So we offer um, consultancy services for the building industry. Um, primarily, we look at the historic contamination in the ground uh -huh. and assess, um, assess the future risk to um, future site users and the, the construction industry themselves. And we also um, advise on some geotechnical constraints. Right, okay. And how does your role fit into that? Um, so I um, work with a team of people. Um, we organise the site works. We go out to do the site, to do the site works. Uh -huh. um, we then work with our clients to really propose what they can do to remediate the site and yeah. um, how they can continue their development. Okay. Well, what, what kind of things are you looking for then when you're going out to do site work? What, what sort of factors are you assessing for the clients? Um, so we can assess anything from historic contamination, be that an old petrol station or old tanks, uh -huh. or old, um, historic industries. We then assess the level of contamination in the ground and what future risk that poses. Mm. 
Um, that's the environmental side of it. The geotechnical side, we um, we look at the ground itself, whether it's suitable for standard foundations, uh-huh. whether there's risks of um, we've had some sites with some sinkholes or some um, unusual and irregular grounds that would cause problems later on. Gotcha. So we advise on that. So you're trying to prevent the the sort of leaning tower of Port Solent kind of scenario from coming to life. Certainly. <laughs> um, just coming back to the environmental okay. side, um, could you give us some examples of of the kind of um, the kind of residual uh, contaminants that might exist after the fact, and what sort of impact that has then potentially on a company looking to build on a site? Yes. Um, so we've hissed up. Well. Very typical for the, the Portsmouth area. There's lots of um, old landfill areas um, in around Portsmouth. They have an associated gas risk, um, which we can advise uh, uh, advise of recommended gas protection measures. And is that um, gases that are being sort of released by material decaying then over time in, in the landfill? Yes. Right. Um, so over a certain period of time, the gas, the um, the material that was deposited in the landfill would decay and produce gas, which can travel quite some distance. Right. Um, would obviously create uh, or present a risk sure. to developments. Um, we can recommend gas protection measures, which would then... Um, allow the development to carry on uh-huh. and keep keep its momentum without the the risk behind it. Sure. What is the risk of these kind of gases? Are we talking kind of explosive risk or are we talking sort of contamination of the air? Uh, for landfill, that is actually an explosive risk. Right. Um, so it seems quite severe, but it's it adds some some worth to what we do, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, it makes it quite quite important that it's all done correctly and to to the specifications, the British standards, and so it, it can be quite an interesting one. Um, we also work with current landfills to ensure that they uh, deposit waste and carry on their their permitted requirements, so that they. Uh, the ongoing risk is minimised. So. Sure, gotcha. So if somebody wanted to build on a site, for example, in the future, if the, if the, the companies that are disposing of the waste have followed the correct procedures and the safest practices, then actually it, it reduces the, the level of risk that a team like yours might find in the future. Certainly, and the, the level of clean-up and remediation required at a later stage. Yeah. It, does it tend to be the case that, um, oh, this is probably a very broad question, um, so t- t- tell me if it's too broad to answer, uh, but does it tend to be the case that um, where you're finding kind of risk factors, um, say from old landfill, does it tend to be the case then that um, there will have to be a level of environmental cleanup before building works, or, or is it actually that you are able to recommend ways of sort of almost containing it um, so that the land itself can remain as is, but it's about 
different, maybe different things that you apply as you're putting the foundations in or something like that? Certainly, the, uh, the majority of contamination that we encounter, be that landfill or historic use for some other reason, a lot of it is can be mitigated against. Mm. It may take a long time or it may be um, a costly process, but almost anything can be modified and changed and mitigated against. So mm. the building can continue sure and is is it um in terms of the sort of the big picture environmentally is it um is it better in terms of the health of the environment to have um uh building over these kind of landfill sites and um historic industrial sites and things like that um does that actually have a wider environmental benefit to be repurposing that land um or, or is it more just simply about making sure that it's safe um, it's a little bit of both, really. Right. Um, if we couldn't build on the brownfield land, the old industrial um, contaminated land, then that would uh, drive the developers onto greenfield land sure. for the nice fields that we see everywhere. And yeah. Certainly, if we can avoid as much greenfield development as we possibly can, yes. um, that I feel like that's going to make a nicer... Um, a nicer environment in the long run yeah. um, for us to produce our food and um, grow our crops as we have done for for many years absolutely so it's sort of a, it's, it's sort of a recycling approach to land almost then yeah yeah it avoids those derelict sites that you walk past and you think oh they really should do something with that um, now through the works that the environmental consultants are doing we enables that that development without any risk with reduced risk <laughs> gotcha what's so what's your motivation in in having pursued this as a career path then why does it matter to you to do what you do um i have lived very close to the new forest all of my life uh -huh. um i love the outdoors and exploring new places um certainly the where I live at the moment, uh, we've had a lot of historic industry that um, my grandparents worked in and my parents have worked in. And it's nice to be able to see those places that were shut off and closed because they were they were contaminated areas, yes. redeveloped into new new buildings, but leaving all the, the green spaces that I love so much yes. free. What? for exploring and <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely no i know what you mean it's so it's so you, you're you're playing a part essentially not just in as you say preserving uh those sites from being developed on but also repurposing stuff that i guess could potentially have been a bit of an eyesore um say if it's the site of an old factory or something like that just sort of left to decay actually you're helping to make sure that that land gets turned to a a, a good purpose that's helping people to uh, obviously be employed uh, and be doing work and be doing good things for the world but also um, you're making sure the land itself is is sort of used respectfully and in a better way. Certainly and on a site-by-site a -site basis you, you get to see a lot of proposed plans and you're essentially looking at people's new houses 
Yes. Through all of our um, risk assessments, we consider the highest risk to be a small child who lives in that house for, for many years and plays in the garden and um, plays in the soil and eats the vegetables from the garden. Yeah. Um, through doing our work, we avoid any contamination that might remain in the ground. Sure. Of that child's life. So if it's if it's not too technical to go into, I think that it would be really interesting if you're if you're able to kind of uh, indulge me and paint a sort of a, a layman's understanding of um, what sort of processes are involved in um, making sure then that say a housing development is built on uh, an old landfill site and maybe you've had metals and things leaching into the ground and as well as the gas buildup you're talking about, what kind of things need to happen to make sure then that uh, when a child's playing in that garden of the future that there you can you can be certain that uh the uh the kind of soil they're digging in for worms and what have you is is safe yeah um so our site our work start right from the very initial stage and we investigate the area and the surrounding area um firstly from a, a desk based approach um, we investigate the historic use of the site and um, amalgamate a list of um, contaminants that we might find. Sure. So like a, a checklist of things to be looking out for based on what you know before you get to the site. Yeah. We then go to site and do a, an extensive site investigation, which can involve either excavating pits or um, drilling um, drilling boreholes to assess and take samples of the soils and the underlying groundwater. Um, through doing this, we can then determine what contaminants are on site um, and we can recommend measures to... Um, to to stop the pathway, really, to yeah. stop the contaminant pathway. Um, so sometimes they involve um, membranes, gas protection membranes that go inside the house. Right. Um, sometimes they include um, removing heavily contaminated soils or um, we call it a clean cover system. So um, importing clean topsoils uh, when contamination is at depth. So, and then finally, before the um, plots again are sold to their, their owners, new owners, they are validated. So we go from a plot to plot basis, take samples and confirm that what we've recommended and sign, and um, chemically the composition of the ground is suitable. Great. So it's, so essentially it's a, it's a process of... You do your research to, to look at, at the most likely things to be looking out for. Then you go out and check what's what's definitely there. Uh, then you remediate all of that, put in whatever measures you need to to stop those being risk factors once the site's developed. Uh, and then once those are in, you check that to make sure that they work uh, as they should. Which is yes. it, it's yeah. really really reassuring to hear that this kind of thing happens. Um, is it? Am I right to assume that there is a sort of legal obligation on on developers to 
uh, engage with a company like yours one way or another to make sure that this kind of stuff is done? Or is it possible actually that people could skip this kind of work altogether? So often the work that we do is recommended in a planning condition Uh within their initial planning application. Um, So it's a condition of of being able to develop the land that they they would have to do this kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So um, we work quite closely with the local authorities in the area and um, confirm with them our processes and our recommendations and they have to sign off all the works before before the application can be closed. Right. So that's often the driving factor. Sure. We've talked a bit about the sort of impacts of this, you know, ranging from uh, just enabling the development of Brownfield site, that sort of land recycling, if you like, in a safe way, obviously protecting people uh, and by making all this possible, keeping those greenfield sites safer than they would be from future development because we don't need to go onto them because we can reuse land that, that perhaps in the past uh, people would have shied away from. Um, I, I wonder, is is there anything, when you think about um, what you do, um, is there um, a sort of driving force for you in terms of how you'd like... Uh, this to impact on the world or change people's behaviour in some way? I would like to see um, more brownfield development. Yeah. At the moment, um, we're losing farmland at a, a shocking rate and there's lots of areas of old industrial land that are, are still laying to, to waste yeah. land because it because of the costs right. associated with developing um, what could be quite a contaminated area. Yeah. Um, it's always our most in, uh, in, our most interesting sites and our most um, challenging sites are the old industrial land mm. which. I love seeing developed into something new that is seems strange, but loved again. It's yeah. all the old industries that we've forgotten. Yeah. I enjoy seeing it have a new life. So that that would be that's my motivation is to to reduce the amount of um, greenfield development. Really, yeah. Yeah, and I, I suppose, I mean, we it's fairly widely acknowledged that there is a housing crisis one way or another, whether people see it as a shortage of homes or just a, a problem of affordability of existing housing stock. Um, but I guess the more we can develop on brownfield sites, uh, the closer we get to being able to solve those kind of issues one way or another, of just making sure that everybody has uh, a safe place to live. In terms of um, what you've talked about there, seeing more brownfield development as opposed to taking the kind of easier, cheaper option, uh, as long as you can get hold of the land of, of developing on greenfield sites, what what do you think needs to change? I assume it's it's you know it, it's a broader thing than just one individual can can um, influence. But is it is it would you think it would have to be a policy 
shift in some way to sort of mandate uh, that developments w would have to uh, at least assess the viability of a brownfield site before uh, they go anywhere else? Certainly, it, it's a difficult one. Um, often the brownfield areas are such small sites mm. that um, you could only develop perhaps 30 or 40 houses on. Sure. Um, some of the, the big developers need to start looking at a development until you can develop perhaps 400 or right. 1,500 yes. houses on one site. So a lot of it is availability of land. Gotcha. My limiting factor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, I wonder on that sense. I'm just thinking loud here. I wonder if I wonder if maybe um, this is sort of prime for uh, organisations that aren't profit driven. So, for example, councils building social housing, uh, if they have the money to do so, maybe that's uh, that's the kind of best option um, that, where they don't need to be making a profit as such because they will have the rental income for well, in perpetuity as long as the buildings are standing so maybe it's uh, maybe it's about local, local councils I don't know this is not something we're going to be able to solve in uh, in one half hour conversation is it but it's, <laughs> it's a really interesting uh, it's a really interesting thing I hadn't really considered before um, it's really great to know that there are people out there who are making this kind of work possible um, Do you, um, in this role, obviously, say you're based at Port Solent, so not a million miles away from the University of Portsmouth, do you work with any um, Portsmouth alumni or current students at Omnia? We do. I'm currently working with a colleague who is studying her master's on a, a part-time course. Uh -huh. uh, so that she's doing that in geotechnical design, I believe. So... She goes out once a week yeah. to do her studies. Um, we also work with a lot of historic or old students, alumni, um, who like the area, want to stay in the area. And Portsmouth, uh, Port Solent was a, a brilliant location for yeah. it. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. People come and uh, sort of fall in love with the area. Was that the case for you? You said you'd always been around the New Forest, so I'm assuming you didn't grow up in Portsmouth itself then. No, I, but I've always been local, um, and I love the area. Yeah, uh, love being by the sea. Yeah. <laughs> let's okay. So yeah. let's let's turn the clock back a bit then um, to um, when you came to the university. So where where did you actually uh, where did you actually grow up then, Georgia? So I um, grew up in Ringwood, so not uh, okay. a million miles away from Portsmouth, sure. and. Sorry. Well, and why did you choose uh, Portsmouth? What was it? What was your degree in? In fact, we haven't even talked about that, have we? Um, my degree was in um, environmental science. Right. Okay. So a good good fit with what you're doing now. Then. Yeah. So why why Portsmouth? Yes. Why, why why was uh, Portsmouth the university for you? Portsmouth. I always wanted to stay close to home uh -huh. um, because I like the area um, and I've got a good good family that I like to keep close to. Sure. And it was just a good city for me. Yeah. It wasn't it was a city that had everything you needed, but it wasn't huge. Yeah. 
And was um, um, was environmental science uh, what you wanted to do, or, or was it a case of saying, right, I know Portsmouth is one of the universities that I want to think about, so what do they offer that, that interests me? How did, which kind of way round was it for you? Um, it's a little bit of both, really. Right. I I wanted to stay in the local area, but I also knew that the environment and environment environmental science was what I found interesting. Yes. I knew that when I left uni, I wanted to have a job that I could go outside and work outside for. Yes. Sometime, if not all the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I guess environmental science, I guess it chimes with your, your sort of love of the, of the land and the green green spaces. Yeah, it certainly did. It, um, the course gave such a broad overview of all the different options that we had. Um, it was a great, great starting block to the career I have now. In terms of your journey then to where you are now, I mean, when, when you, at the point at which you graduated, had you sort of, had you identified this as a career path or were you just kind of getting out there and going, right, I have this degree in environmental science, what can I do with it? Um, so I first did a module in contaminated land in my third year of uni. Uh-huh. Um, so that gave me the idea that it was out there. Sure. Which was, I enjoyed it. It was exciting. Yeah. Uh, actually, at the same time, I took up a work placement that was advertised through the uni uh-huh. uh, that worked in ecology for a local firm. Right. So I actually came out of uni doing ecology rather than the, the geo-environmental consulting okay and for, um, for, for those who don't know then what would be the difference between um ecology as a focus versus the um environmental consulting so ecology as a focus um is really just seeing the wildlife that makes its home in that site whether that be newts bats um dormice yeah so there was a lot of site works and it was a really interesting start to my career. Um, but you wanted to dig dig deeper, as it were, and actually go below the ground and see what's what's happening there, as opposed to what's living above it. Certainly, there were certain points of the ecology that I loved, and certain points of the the contaminated land side that yeah. drew me back to doing this. Really. <laughs> So how did you get to where you are today then? What's that journey been like over the last six years? Um, It's been fairly varied. Uh I started off in this industry and then went um, and spent some time doing um, oil spill remediation. Okay. Uh, So that was a different aside that led to a different view on what I was um but in the end I always enjoyed what I was doing the contaminated land and liked going back to it so it's been an interesting interesting six years with lots of lots of great people that I've met and it's a very friendly and ever-changing uh 
industry, I think, as we develop and grow further. In terms of those people that you've met, are there, are there particular people who've sort of almost mentored you along the way and, and um, helped you to find your path? Because I know a lot of a lot of people. I think it's very common these days, in particular, to spend their you know you spend your twenties exploring different things that you can do with the skills and interests that you have before you sort of finally settle on your path. It sounds like you've really certainly at Omnia you've found something that really really works for you all round in terms of uniting all sorts of interests. Um, I'm just curious to know if if uh, you had any help or if you kind of figured that out for yourself along the way. No, no, definitely had some help um, in help through my colleagues and certainly my managers that I've worked with over the years in first giving me a chance to to explore it. Certainly the hardest job has always got to be the, the first one that you ever get with no experience. Yes. Um, and giving me the opportunities and time and experience, sharing their experience um to to develop where I am today really yeah it's certainly not been all of my own doing I've had some very very clever and very helpful people that have assisted along the way have you engaged with the university at all since you graduated uh we've recently been speaking with the university as um our company grows uh-huh. to see if there's anyone who was recently leaving, who might want to look into the contaminated land side oh, okay. um, and join with us. Um, I always remember back to the first month or so that I left university and realised it, it's a difficult first step to get that first job. Yeah. So if I can help anyone do that, then I'm... <laughs> oh excellent that's great so that would that be in terms of sort of stepping out into a role or or would it be um sort of a, like an apprenticeship style role or something or are we talking maybe placement opportunities um at the moment we're exploring everything right. um certainly we've got roles to fill um but also placements um everyone who seems to do them who have known in the past has benefited from them Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's certainly something that the university really tries to promote, uh, the benefits of going out and doing a placement, getting getting some experience in the workplace before you graduate. There's, there's just so much value to that. I'm sure you found that yourself with your own um, experience. Yes, certainly. As much experience, even if it's just a, a couple of weeks or a, just a little bit of help along the way, it all definitely helps <laughs> yeah absolutely oh that's great well I hope I hope all of that works out obviously you're sort of early stages of the conversation but um, fingers crossed that'll lead to some really exciting opportunities for Portsmouth students and also um, you know some some great uh, highly motivated uh, passionate young people coming into the business as well uh, from your perspective that would be fantastic um, I always like to sort of close on a, a version of the same sort of question Georgia which is um when you think back to your time at Portsmouth at the university, what comes to mind? What is it that you think of? Um, for me, it's the friends that I made um, and the opportunities that I was given. Yeah. Um, 
The friends that I made at Portsmouth, certainly some of them I know I will know for the rest of my life. Yes. <laughs> uh, and some of the the experiences that we all went through and the the opportunities that we were given, it, it certainly, I wouldn't be where I am today without doing the course and going to the uni that I went to. Oh, there you go. Well, that's, that's a dream of an answer, obviously, from my point of view. And I uh, just want to reassure anyone listening to this that that was not uh, in any way planted. That is George's honest <laughs> opinion, <laughs> which is great to hear. George, thanks ever so much for giving us your time today. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, very best of luck with uh, with everything with the future. I'm, I'm From what you've said, I've got uh, no doubt that you're going to go on and make all kinds of uh, positive impact in the world from here. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. Just as John said, Georgia's work is helping land to be recycled, which means more green spaces for the rest of us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Waves. You can find more inspiring interviews with University of Portsmouth alumni by subscribing to this series on your podcast app. And if you'd like to get involved and make some waves of your own, Let us know by emailing alumni at port.ac.uk or click on alumni from the Portsmouth homepage 